So uh, we are this morning uh, continuing in the uh, the wake up series, and tonight is part or this morning is part uh, fifteen. It's confusing doing four services. I have really no idea what my last name even is right now. Um, so uh, we're continuing, and it's part fifteen. And this morning is wake up to worship. And uh, a couple of months ago, when Lance knew that he could not be here this weekend, he asked me if I'd be willing to uh, continue in the series. And uh, he told me it was wake up to worship. And uh, when he showed me the passage that we were going to be in, and this morning we were going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. That's what we're going to dive into here in just a bit. Uh, unbeknownst to him, uh, Isaiah 40 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. So I was really excited when he handed that off to me. And I'm privileged to be here to open it up with you today and just walk through some of the things that God has in store for us. Um, my, my two goals, really for uh, this morning are number one, uh, to not waste your time. And number two, a more personal goal for me, uh, is to not cry during the message. Uh, so far, I'll tell you, I'm 0 for 2 uh, on that. And uh, what's, what's funny is um, uh, when I became a dad 13 years ago, I found that I became much more weepy and... Uh, um, and uh, especially when I'm talking about the greatness of God, I get really weepy. And a cute little story, uh, Jake and I were uh, spending time together a couple months ago in a crowded restaurant up in El Dorado Hills. He and I were just encouraging one another, sharpening one another. And uh, we were actually talking about the, one of the passages that I'll refer to this morning. And in this restaurant, he and I were just chatting and all of a sudden I just started crying in this restaurant. I could barely talk. I was had tears rolling down my face and I was kind of sobbing and, 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 you know, doing the shoulder shrug. And, and, uh, after the fact, I thought, I wonder what all those people in that restaurant thought was going on at, at our little table. You know, they probably thought like Jake and I were breaking up with each other or something, you know? So. So I might get a little weepy, it's not on purpose, but we are definitely going to focus on the greatness of God this morning as we dive into Isaiah 40. And as we start, I, I want to ask you a question. And I just want you to answer this in the quietness of your own heart and mind. I want you to fill in the blank with this sentence. This is not the fill in the blank on your bulletin, however. Answer this to yourself. God is a lot like what think about that god is a lot like fill in the blank one thing that god wants us to know and he will reveal to us in isaiah 40 this morning is that whatever we just came up with whatever we just filled in the blank with is inadequate because he's about to show us in Isaiah 40 like, that, that God is like nothing else we can imagine or think. Whatever we just thought of is insufficient. He's greater than whatever we just came up with. Your fill in the blank this morning on your bulletin is this. No one is like our God. No one is like our God. In Isaiah 40, 
we're turning the page. We're starting a new chapter in this book of prophecy because here's what's happening. The first 36 chapters of Isaiah, the things that we've already been walking through, they're kind of a bummer because the first 36 chapters are all about God's coming judgment of rebellious people. The the first 36 chapters are, woe to you, you idolaters, woe to you, you rebels. The first 36 chapters are God's coming judgment. And then there's a bit of an interlude. In chapters 37 and through 39, the judgment is taking place. And although God's people thought it was going to be the Assyrians that God would ultimately use to judge them, it wasn't the Assyrians. What actually happened was it was the Babylonians that came in, sacked the Jewish people, took them into captivity. And when we turn the page and we open in Isaiah 40, where we're going this morning, the 70 years of captivity under the Babylonians is almost done. And what God is going to reveal this morning is that the captivity is nearly over and salvation and redemption is coming again. So that's, that's the switch that is taking place. Um, so we're, we're going from judgment and this morning we get hope. We get hope. One of my friends asked me not too long ago, we were traveling down the road about a year ago and he asked me, it must be pretty hard to, to lead worship, huh? And I said, no, actually, it's cake. It's really easy to lead worship. I think sometimes we complicate it. Sometimes we make it uh, a mystery thinking that we've got to be creative or we've got to be motivational or, or clever. And the reality is, to get people to worship God, all you have to do is show them God. So one of the things that Jake and I frequently talk about in getting ready for the weekend, we talk about what's, what's this weekend's reveal? What's this weekend's reveal? What are we going to reveal this weekend about God's nature, about God's character? What are we going to get uh, the folks in the room agreeing with about who God is this weekend? We call it our reveal. What are we revealing? And in Isaiah chapter 40, it's exactly what God is doing. Isaiah chapter 40 is God's reveal. He is about to reveal to people who are in captivity how awesome he is and how trustworthy he is, um, how powerful he is, how compassionate he is. That's where we're heading this morning. You ready to go there? Let me pray over us one more time. Lord, I just want to get out of your way this morning and we want to just feed on your word, on your truth. I pray, God, that you would get tons of mileage out of today and that um, I would simply be your mouthpiece. Lord, we love you, and this whole thing is moving towards a response to who you are and to your greatness. So bless our time and uh, just whip up some glory in this place for yourself and hog it all, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in your Bibles, if you've got one of the blue ones uh, from the seat below you, uh, we're going to be starting on page 599. You're welcome to grab one of those Bibles and turn there. That is the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. And um, the passage starts out this way on page 599. 
Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. Now keep in mind, this is, this is to an audience who's been in captivity for 70 years. And now God is saying through Isaiah, comfort my people. Comfort. Isaiah says it twice for emphasis. Comfort, comfort. Speak tenderly. That word can also be translated, speak with encouragement. Encourage my people. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. That word warfare can be also translated her hard work. Her hard work is almost over. And her iniquity is pardoned. Her sin is forgiven. So in God's great reveal in Isaiah 40, He starts with mercy. That's the first thing that He wants His people to know is that He's merciful. It comes as no surprise. It reminded me When I read this, it reminded me of the conversation that God and Moses had back in Exodus, in chapter 34 of Exodus. You don't have to turn there, I'll recap it for us. It reminds me of that conversation when Moses was going to be leading the people to the promised land, or toward the promised land. And he's on Mount Sinai with God, and he's got, uh, he's getting the Ten Commandments, the two, the two tablets. And Moses is having this discussion with God, and he says to God, look, I don't want to lead these people unless I know that you're with me. Unless you're going with us, I don't want to go, Moses said to the Lord. And so Moses begins to plead with God, and he says, show me who you are. God, reveal yourself to me. And God says to Moses in this passage, if I show you who I am, you can't handle it. I'm greater than you can handle, Moses. And then God says this. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to tuck you behind a rock. And I'm going to walk past you. And as I do, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the backside of me. And you'll know who I am and you'll know that I'm with you. And so this is what happens in in Exodus 34 when God is revealing himself to Moses in the same way that he's revealing in Isaiah chapter 40. This is what Exodus 34, 5 says. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now I want you to catch this. It's not Moses proclaiming the name of the Lord. It is the Lord proclaiming his own name And this is what he says of himself. This is what God leads with. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed his own name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. It's the first thing God wanted Moses to know about himself on that mountain. And it's the first thing God wants us to know about him when we're in captivity. That God is merciful. Who leads with mercy? Nobody. 
You know at the party, at the mixer, when you're getting to know somebody and, and they're like, well, tell, tell this person something that they wouldn't otherwise know about you. Nobody leads with mercy. Nobody says, well, um, I live in Roseville and I'm, I'm very tender. <laughs> um, it just doesn't happen. Typically what we do, if you're anything like me, you try and big shot the person that you're meeting, right? You want to tell them how important you think you are. That's not what God did. In God's great reveal, he doesn't lead with his power. You'll see in a minute his power is coming, but he leads with his mercy. And here's the first thing he wants us to know about him. His mercy is matchless. It's matchless. I was having a talk with somebody not too long ago, and I said, what do you think of God? And their answer blew me away. Stopped me in my tracks. They said, I think God is a bully. I think anyone who sends you to hell because you don't do what they want you to do is a bully. I was blown away. I was stopped and silent. I didn't know what to say. And I said, the only thing that came to mind, and I'll tell you this, there might be some of you in here who say, I can relate to that. I think God is a bully too. I don't even really know why I'm in here, but I'm not sure I like God. And I agree with whoever it was Casey was talking to. And I'm going to tell you the same thing I told that person after I gathered my thoughts. This is what I said. You know, when I consider the cross, I just don't see a bully. I just don't see a bully. What I see is someone who's in hot pursuit of us, trying to save us from our own rebellion and our own sin. And actually his mercy is matchless. Truth is, while Christ was being crucified, in the moment, he was praying for the people that were crucifying him, saying, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. That doesn't sound like a bully. That sounds... Like someone who has mercy that I can barely even understand. Truth is, I have a hard time mustering enough mercy when I'm just trying to merge onto the freeway, right? <laughs> just let me in. Just let me in. I get all fired up, right? You're the same. I know it. I've driven with some of you. While he's being crucified, he's saying, Father, forgive them. Our God leads with mercy, and I'm so thankful that he, that he does. Aren't you? Yeah, yeah sure. You clap for Jesus. So verse 3 says this. We're back to Isaiah 40. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Here's your translation on that. Roll out the red carpet for our God. Smooth out a road in the highway because our Redeemer is coming. We've been in captivity and here comes our Savior. And this entire book, uh, from now on with these, with these prophecies of hope, there's two things that are happening. I want you to know it's hope for them in captivity in Babylon, but it's also prophecies about our great coming high priest, Jesus Christ, the King, for you and I today. The truth is they were in captivity for 70 years at the time. Some of you have been in captivity for 70 years. 
Maybe seven, seven years, maybe seven months, maybe seven hours. But whether it's been a long time or a short time that you have been in captivity to yourself, to your sin, prepare the way because the Lord, the King, the Redeemer is coming is what this message is. And he can deliver us from the junk that has us captive. Yes? So clear the way for the Lord. Roll out the red carpet, it says. And in verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Down a bit in verse 6, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like a flower of the field. The reality is, so many things in this, in this world are temporal. There's only two uh, things that God is going to redeem from this place. His people and His Word. Everything else perishes. We're crazy if we're trusting in anything that's temporal. Verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. So here's the good news. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. Bam, there's the might, right? There it is. Plenty of mercy. Here comes the power and strength. He's going to blow our minds. God is about to big shot us, and he should. You want to know why? Because he's a big deal. He is a big deal, and he's about to remind us. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. Verse 10. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is how amazing our God is. For those that are in rebellion, he pursues them with mercy and then he begins to gather them back in. He gathers them back in. For those that were in captivity under Babylon, he's gathering them back in. You know why we're here right now in this place in Rockland? Because God is a merciful gatherer. And he went after you. Like a shepherd. It's no coincidence that in John uh, chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My flock knows me and I know them. He also in that same passage says... The shepherd stays put when the predator comes. The hired hand, not so much. The hired hand flees in fear and leaves the flock unattended. But the shepherd remains because the shepherd cares for his flock. Our God is a guide and our God is a protector. And his strength and his tenderness are matchless. And that's what he wants us to know this morning. Verse 12. More big shotting by our great God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Do me a favor. Look up here. Do this with me. That, that hang loose symbol, you, you know, you're not too old to do this. Do it. All right. <laughs> Here's a span. This word means from the tip of your pinky to your thumb. The span. That's what this word means. 
So who marked off the heavens with a span? That's how God set it up. That's what it looks like to him. I'll confess something to you. I have no clue how big God is. But if he's marking off the heavens with the span of his hand, he is bigger and greater than I can even imagine or think. He's awesome. And that is what he wants us to know this morning. Who marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. What God is doing right now is he's revealing himself in this great reveal of Isaiah 40. Reminds me a little bit of the dialogue that he had with Job. Remember when Job was kind of saying, Lord, what's the deal? And in verse, uh, chapter 38 of Job, this is what God said to him. Where were you, Job? <laughs> Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On where is its footings or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? He's kind of doing the same thing to us here in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 14 of 40, it says this, Whom did he consult? And who made the Lord understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Later in Isaiah, in chapter 55, Isaiah writes it this way. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. And this is what Paul says. And I think this is the point of why God is big-shotting us here in Isaiah 40. So that no human being might ever boast in the presence of God. There are parts of God that are unknowable, unsearchable. His power and His wisdom are matchless. I think our tendency is to get puffed up ourselves in our own pursuit of knowledge and philosophy and even science, all of which are very good things. I think God wants us to know that He's greater than our knowledge, that He's greater than our wisdom, that He's greater than science. His knowledge and His wisdom are matchless. And He's not interested in being figured out or being proven by us. You know what He's interested in? Our worship and our faith in Him.
verse 17. All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then would you liken God? Or what likeness compare him? Verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's you and me. We are the inhabitants of the earth and we're like grasshoppers. We spend so much time telling God how important we are. And the reality is we're like grasshoppers in this whole scenario compared to how vast and how great that he is. You know, that would be a real bummer if he were a bully. But he's not. He's merciful. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? Who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. I think God wants us to remember that he is the one that rises up kingdoms and puts them down. If you're anything like me, there are times during your week when you're listening to way too much AM talk radio. And if you're anything like me, after a little while, you've got to turn it off. It gets so depressing. I find myself just feeling like, wow, this place is doomed. It is. It is. It's supposed to be. But I think some of us get so caught up in our political agendas that we start deceiving ourselves into thinking that our politics are the way, the truth. And they're not. This morning, God wants us to know that he's greater than our politics. He's revealing right here that he's sovereign and that his sovereignty, his authority, his rule, his reign... Let me remind you of this conversation Jesus had with Pilate after he was arrested. I love this. Pilate says to Jesus just prior to the crucifixion, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? <laughs> and this is what Jesus said. You'd have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Bam. <laughs> God's rule and reign and authority are matchless. Never forget that. There isn't anything going on in any country or any nook of this entire globe that's coming as a surprise to God this morning, and He is in control of all of it. And you know what? This place is doomed, and His glory is going to be revealed. It's exactly what He said in Isaiah chapter 40 to those that were in captivity for 70 years, and it's exactly His message to us. His glory will be revealed, and He's coming. You with me? I hope so. I don't know where else you'd want to be. 
than feeding on his word this morning. 25. To whom then will you compare me? That's the second time he said it. It must be important. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. What in the world is he talking about? Translation. This is what he's telling him. Tonight, at nightfall, go outside and look up in the sky and be blown away at the fact that I'm holding all this together. That I'm the one who's placed all of these hosts in heaven and I'm keeping them all in place on purpose and I've named every one of them. Sometimes we feel like God doesn't know what's going on. Truth is, he's keeping all the starry hosts in place He knows them all by name. Truth is, he knows all of you. He knows all of you by name. In fact, Jesus said that he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Bigger challenge for some than others, I know. (laughs) Nevertheless, he knows. That's what he's saying. Twenty-seven. a great irony that's about to pop up in the scripture right now. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? You know what's happening right here? Israel's complaining that God has forgotten them. You want to know why that's such a great irony? They're in this divine judgment in captivity in Babylon because they forgot God. They're feeling distance from God and they're saying, God doesn't even care about me. And the irony is they stopped caring about God. Some of us are like that. Some of us spend more of our time talking about and discussing how no one understands how hard it is for us. Or where, oh, where is God? In Isaiah chapter 40, he wants us to know he's present and he knows us. And he hasn't forgotten us. In verse 28, Isaiah says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? I want to take a time out right there. Have you not known? Have you not heard? In Joshua chapter 4, you don't have to go there. I'll summarize it for us. Something incredible happens with the people of God. They had already been delivered from captivity from Egypt. Moses had already led them out. 
They'd already seen the miracles, the, the plagues that happened there. They already went out to the Red Sea. God already parted it. They already went through. It already washed away Pharaoh and his army. And now they're headed toward the promised land. Moses' uh, time of leading the nation is coming to an end. He's passing the baton on to Joshua. And in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, the people have come to the Jordan River. And God is about to do another miracle for these same folks. In a moment, God is going to part the Jordan River, just like he did with the Red Sea. And here's what happens. He tells Joshua, I want you to lead the, high, the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to lead them to the middle of the Jordan River. And I want them to stand there and hold it while the people cross. And they go through. Just like uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. And as they go through... I want you to get a representative from each of the 12 tribes. And I want those 12 representatives to come to the middle of the river. And I want them to pick up stones. Stones of remembrance. I want them to grab stones from the middle of the river and remove them. They're going to take them out and they're going to set them on the side outside of the river. And here's why I want you to do it. I never, ever, ever want you to forget what I've done. That's why it's crazy right here in in 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? In that passage in Joshua 4, 19, this is what the Word of God says. The people came out of the Jordan on the tenth day in the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea as well. And he did it so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God knows we're forgetful. He knows we're complacent. He knows we're negligent. And on this day when they were crossing the Jordan, he said, I want these people to pull out stones of remembrance so they can go look at this pile of rocks someday and it will remind them of the greatness of God. That's why it's so shocking that these are the same people. And Isaiah says, have you not known? Have you not heard? That the Lord is the everlasting God. This is kind of how Paul summarized our rebellion and our wandering and our forgetfulness. Paul said it like this in Romans 1.18. 
the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires and their hearts to sexual impurity for they, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things instead of the Creator. That's what God's people had done. It's in part why they were now in Babylon under this, this divine discipline. And uh, if we're honest, we're not very different. I think um, we spend a ton of time pursuing things that are far too frail and far too False to ever sustain us. We do. We do. We start trusting in our politics. We start trusting in other people. We start trusting in philosophy. We start trusting in our position or our possessions. We start trusting in our portfolio. We start trusting in science. And when we do, we're susceptible to forget how great God is and that the truth is, he's matchless. So part of what God wants us to know from Isaiah 40 this morning is stop trusting in those things that are too frail or too false to sustain you. Trust in me. You're matchless, merciful, powerful God. We're going to wrap up in a moment. And uh, as we do, I'm going to ask Jake and the team to come on up. We're going to turn our attention to celebrating the, the greatness and, and uh, the vastness of our maker. This is how uh, Isaiah 40 wraps up. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and grow weary. And young men, they'll fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and they won't be weary. And they'll walk 
and they won't faint. Friends, we're going to make much of Jesus in this place this morning. And when we do, I just want us to remember that our God is eternal. He's permanent. And we're nuts if we trust in temporal things. That He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere we could possibly be. In fact, the Word of God says, even if we go to the depths of the sea, God is there and present with us. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows more and is wiser than you can imagine or think. And He knows you. And He knows what you need and where you are and where you're hurting. This Word reveals that God is constantly alert. He's constantly vigilant. And certainly it reveals that He's compassionate. I want to ask you a few questions. And I want you to respond verbally. I want to hear you. Would you stand to your feet and just answer these questions for me, would you? You tell me. Who is like our God? No one. Who is greater? No one. Who is stronger? No one. Who's more sovereign? No one. Who's more creative? No one. Who has more wisdom, church? No one. Whose judgments are more fair? I can't hear you. Now I can hear you. Who's more trustworthy? Who's more merciful? Who knows you more? Who loves you deeper? No one. Who else rescued you from sin's penalty? No one. And who else, church, is more deserving of the worship that you're about to give Him? No one. Let's do it.